0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are called to admonish one another. It's a very biblical thing for us to do. However, we must have built up a robust Christian community full of love and acceptance, among many other things, before we can admonish one another. Otherwise, we end up tearing each other apart. You're listening to Admonish One Another by Rev. Peter Yonker. Two scripture readings this morning. Uh, first one will be from Colossians, the second one will be from Romans. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and then Romans 15, verses 14 through 16. And just to remind you, we're continuing our series on the one another's of the New Testament uh, as a way to work on community and to grow in our love for each other and to follow the Spirit's leading in the practice of community. We're looking at all the one another statements that are throughout the New Testament and when you put them all together, these one another's form something like a curriculum of community. We are studying this curriculum. And today's one another is a little different. As you heard Aaron say, it is admonish one another, admonish one another. Not necessarily people's favorite one another. Let's start with Colossians. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the call to admonish from Colossians. Now we're going to hear it from Romans. Uh, The word admonish doesn't appear in the English translation, but it's the same Greek word, and I'll point out to you when you hear it. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct In the original Greek, that's the word admonish. And in other translations, it's also the word admonish. Competent to admonish one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So admonish one another. Admonish. That is not a word that we uh, use in regular conversation. Regular English conversation between normal uh, people. We don't don't use that word admonish. That is very much a church word, a Bible word. Mothers do not say to their children, son, I admonish you to do your homework. That's not how we talk. But it is a a Bible word, and it is something that's in Scripture and and something that's put upon us. It's three times it's translated, the word for for admonish is translated as admonish in our Bible. If you go to other modern translations, like the English Standard Version, it appears six times. So it's very much something that is still being put upon us as we read Scripture today. And even though we don't use the word in common conversation, we kind of know what it means. If you admonish someone, you challenge them. You try to correct them. You confront them. And if that's your sense of what admonish means, then you're right in line with the Greek word. The Greek word is nuthateo. And nutheteo is to challenge someone uh, to get them to change their will, to get them to change their heart, or to get them to change their path, to make a course correction. Nuthateo, admonish. As we consider this one another, I I wonder if your reaction to hearing that this morning's sermon would be about admonishment was the same as my reaction at the beginning of this week when I realized I had to preach on it. And that was this. This sermon series is about community formation. Is more admonishment going to help us get closer as a community? In these fractured times... Do we really need a call to admonish one another? Is, is that going to help us? And I confess that all week I found myself, um, and I don't like to quote uh, sitcoms in, in movies, in, in uh, sitcoms in, in sermons, but I felt myself drawn to a Seinfeld episode I kept thinking of, and that was the one about Festivus. And George's dad, who is fed up with Christmas, invents his own celebration. Around Christmas time, he calls it Festivus, and he has two pinnacles of Festivus. One of Festivus is the feats of strength, and the other is the airing of the grievances. So after dinner, they they push back their chairs, and they take turns telling everyone their complaints about each other. I got a lot of problems with this guy. In the context of the sitcom, if you've seen it, does that build community in the Costanza family? No, it does not. Admonish one another. Do we want this? Should we go into the multi-purpose room after this service and look around for someone to admonish? Is that what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do? And besides, how does this fit in with other biblical material? There are so many other biblical calls that seem to push us in the exact opposite direction. Didn't Jesus himself say, judge not, lest you be judged? And in Galatians 5, didn't Paul say, don't nitpick each other or you will bite and devour each other to death? Galatians 5.15. Are we supposed to live at peace with one another? How does admonishment fit in with all that other stuff and with our sense of things? Well, whether we are comfortable with it or not, whether... It makes us feel good or not. The call to admonish one another and to engage in mutual discipline is absolutely part of the Holy Spirit's call to us in Scripture. We cannot escape it. I read two passages today where that call is clear. And there are many other passages in Scripture which call us to this kind of mutual confrontation. I'll just read a couple. Hebrews 10, 23 to 24. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that set before us. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to good deeds. Spur each other on to good deeds. Sounds like admonish, right? Jesus, if your brother sins against you, if your sister sins against you, go and show them their fault. Admonish them. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So there's gentleness in it, but admonishment too. We cannot escape this call, and we're not comfortable with it, but a lot of the reason we're not comfortable with it is because it does not fit the spirit of our times. Modern Western society does not like, we, we don't like people to tell us what to do. We like to be Lord of our own Lord of our own manner, and captain of our own ship. But we know that when you follow Jesus you are not Lord of your own manner. Jesus is your Lord. And you are his disciple. And Jesus goes that way and you discipline yourself to follow him. You stay on his paths. And Jesus' path goes this way and there are other paths that lead in a different way. And we try to avoid those paths and go on the correct path, the Jesus path. And we encourage We help each other to find that path. And sometimes we do that by encouraging one another like we talked about last week. But sometimes we do that by saying, no, you're on the wrong path. That's going to hurt you. That way lies death. This is the way of life. You admonish your brother, your sister to get on the path. We cannot escape this call. But if we are going to do it well and do it in a way that Uh, doesn't make us like the Costanza family. We are going to have to think of a couple of things. So I'd like to say two things, two things that we need to keep in mind if we are going to follow this one another. 1st we you've got to put this call to admonish one another in its proper context in Scripture. The call to admonish does not come out of thin air. It comes in a context. What is the biblical context of this call? Colossians Paul calls us to admonish one another, but before he does that, he surrounds us with a whole cluster of virtues. And all these virtues that he puts us on, that he surrounds us with, are virtues of tolerance and getting along so that we don't tear each other to pieces. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. All of those are virtues that help us not to jump on each other over every difference and tear each other apart, right? Bear with one another, and if anyone has a grievance, don't air the grievance. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, one body, one community, you are called to peace. All of those virtues of getting along are put in place, are foundational, before we get the call to admonish one another and confront one another. That's Colossians. What about Romans? Romans 15, 14 uh, Paul tells the church that we are competent to admonish one another, that we're able to do this, that we should do this. What comes before that? If you know the book of Romans, three whole chapters, which are about getting along together and not killing each other and tearing each other apart. Romans 12 right into 15 are all about practicing those same verses we just heard about from Colossians. And I'll just read a few of the verses from that section to give you a sense again of what comes before. Romans 12, verse 5, we are all members of one body and we belong to each other. You can't get a stronger statement of community than that, right? You belong to each other. Romans 14, 10, don't be too judgmental of your brother and sister and don't treat them with contempt. Romans 14, 19, let us make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Romans 15, 7, one of the passages I preached on earlier in this series, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So before there is one word about admonition in Romans, you have all these words about not nitpicking and tearing each other apart. And it's only when that's in place that the call to admonition gets in place. And of course, we know that contextually, what comes before those three chapters is the 11 chapters, which talks about how we've accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Despite our sins, Christ died for us and brought us into communion with Him. So, all that admonition is contextualized by love. In fact, we can make it into a picture, we can describe it as a building. Admonition is built on a foundation, and there are two levels to the foundation. The first level is knowing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in your life and your acceptance in him. When we admonish one another, we don't do it as heroes of righteousness who come down from Olympus. We do it as broken people who've been lifted out of the dust and given a grace that we didn't deserve. Therefore, by the grace of God go I, that consciousness. That's the first level of the building. The second level is that robust Christian community where we practice compassion and forgiveness and forbearance and all those things in Colossians. And once those two levels are in place, then you can admonish. And if you look at Colossians, it literally seems to go up that building as it describes admonition. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's that foundation of our forgiveness in Christ, Clothe yourselves in compassion and kindness and love and gentleness and humility. That's that second level of human community and only then admonishment. You have to have the foundation of love in place before we start confronting one another. I mean, you can do it without the foundation. You could try to admonish someone without the love in place, but I promise you it won't work. It will be destructive. Early in my ministry, I read a book by Richard John Newhouse, who was the founder of the magazine First Things. And in that book, he quoted uh, something by Martin Luther King Jr. that I've never forgot. Terrific advice for young ministers and terrific advice for all human beings. And it's this. Those whom you would change, the people you want to change, you must first love and they must know that you love them. Those whom you would change, you must first love, and they must know that you love them. That's just another way of saying, if you're going to admonish anyone and try to change them, it's got to be built on the foundation of love. This is why arguing with people on Facebook doesn't work. I mean, we all know that, but this is why. The Bible Gives us the reason why. If you try to argue someone with a, on a, on a comment section on the internet or on Facebook, it's not going to work because the foundation of love and trust and community isn't there. You're arguing with an acquaintance. You're arguing with a total stranger. Your admonition just makes the wall higher and thicker and worse. Those whom you would change, you must first Love. There's a lot of talk in the Christian church these days about how discipline has fallen by the wayside in the modern church. You know, we don't, we don't call a sin a sin anymore. You hear people say that. You know, in the old days, we were willing to confront people. We were willing to get a little bit harder on sin. Now people pretty much do whatever they want, and no one says anything, right? No one confronts them. And, and when people see this trend, they often will attribute it to a couple things. They say, well, we just don't have moral courage, and we don't have moral clarity. And those people are partly right. We definitely need more moral courage and certainly more moral clarity in this world. But I wonder if the deeper and more profound reason why we're not willing to confront each other is because we don't love each other enough. The foundation of community and love is not in place. And we don't confront each other because we instinctively know it won't work to confront someone that we don't know that well and that we haven't established that level of trust. Our failure to confront is a failure of community at its foundation. Those whom you would change, you must first love. That's the first thing we need to understand about admonition. Here's the second thing. When we admonish each other, we need to reverse the proverb that we use for giving. The proverb we use for giving is, it's better to give than receive. When we're admonishing with admonishment, it is better to receive than to give. When you hear Paul say, admonish one another, maybe there's something in us that goes, oh, good, I, just, I know some people I would like to admonish, and now Paul's giving me permission. I can hardly wait to tell them what I think. Wisdom would put that in the other direction. Perhaps our reaction should be, who do I know who knows me well enough, who loves me enough, and whom I trust enough that I can go to that person and ask them for the truth about myself? Ask them to admonish me. It's better to receive. In my library, I have a book published by InterVarsity Press called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And it's a book that basically goes through all the Christian disciplines have been practiced through history. And so prayer and meditation and fasting and all those things. And one of the disciplines is something called mutual accountability. And that's a discipline where two Christian people find each other and agree on occasion to get together and tell each other the truth. You wouldn't want to do this every week. That's too much. But maybe a couple times a year, someone you love dearly, to sit down with them and say to the other person, Am I doing okay? Do I have moral blind spots? Am I straying in any way that you can see? Please tell me, dear friend. All of that is built on a foundation of love and trust, but essentially it's a form, a practice of mutual admonition. And it reminds me of Proverbs 27, verse 6. An enemy multiplies kisses, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's a practice of faithful friendship and spirit-led mutual admonition. And it's been practiced in the Christian church effectively in history. It's not just something in theory. In the Methodist movement, in the early days of the Methodist movement, one of the things that really made the Methodist church grow were their covenant groups. They practiced small groups together. And intentionally, part of the Methodist small groups was mutual admonition. In fact, I was reading a book by John Ortberg this week uh, where he talked about some questions that John Wesley would ask for anyone coming into the Methodist church and about to join these small groups and their admonition questions. Listen to these questions. Imagine being asked these questions before you joined a small group. Does any sin, inward or outward, have dominion over you? Do you desire to be told of your faults? Do you desire to be told of all your faults in that plain and clear? Are you really, really serious about us telling the truth about you? Do you desire that in so doing, we should come as close as possible? That we should cut you to the quick and search your heart to the bottom? Now, without mutual trust, uh, those questions are a horror. Without mutual trust and love, that, that's, that's an inquisition. But in the context of people who trust each other and love each other and built on that foundation, those questions could be the beginning of a fellowship that goes all the way down to the bottom of your heart. And my question for you as we finish the sermon today is, is there anyone in your Christian circle, besides your family now, anyone, whom you love and trust enough that you could ask them to tell you the truth and they would tell it. I wish this for you. I pray for this for you and for me so that our fellowship together as believers may go all the way down to the bottom of our hearts. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the gift of admonition We admit that it's a gift that makes us uncomfortable. But we hear your call this morning, Lord. We stand under your word. We follow in your paths. We ask, we pray, that your spirit will bring us close enough together that we may love each other well and support each other and practice kindness, but also admonition. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.